Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, Dan Club, and I'm joined today by David Comerford as we look at Liverpool's midfielder search and preview Wednesday's game against Newcastle. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, first and foremost, we are just going to look back on Saturday's emphatic 9-0 victory over Bournemouth. Much needed 9-0 victory over Bournemouth. Um, so, Dave, I'll bring you in at that point. Um, and there's nothing else really to say is that other than sheer relief Um a performance that shows that we're still challenging, a statement of intent. How did you look at that game on Saturday? Well, the one thing everyone is is looking at coming into that game is, can Liverpool finally get this first goal? That that has been eluding them for so long, um, certainly in Premier League action. And they did. They scored very early, which I think was really important just to prevent any sort of nerves and frustration from setting in. Um, I think it was within about three minutes or something, the first goal, wasn't it? Yeah. So what what we saw was a similar sort of intensity um, to what Liverpool came out with against Crystal Palace in their first home game. But this time, crucially, you know, they took their, their chances. They got the breakthrough. Um, and then they just ran riots after that. So it was almost like maybe a, a bit of a weight off with that moment. And what I think is interesting is, you know, obviously we score nine times. We're only one short of getting the record, which, you know, by the way, was a little bit annoying that with yeah. sort of about 10 minutes of the match left. We couldn't just um, sneak it, but you can't really complain too much about that. I mean, that's being ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the XG that we had was only sort of 3.4 um, within the game. So to score nine off that sort of says a lot. I mean, obviously we saw two kind of outrageous goals in there. Um from Trent and Elliot. So it wasn't as if, you know, we, it wasn't really a 9 0 performance. If it's possible to have one of those, you know, there were some sort of very kind of low percentage, rare, rare goals in there um, and a couple of fortunate moments. But yeah, certainly just levels and levels above uh, Bournemouth um, to the extent that he did feel a bit sorry for them, to be honest. And it was nice for Liverpool, though, to, on the flip side of that, to almost take their anger out. Um, on on Bournemouth really, and and to have that that full extent of a backlash, you know, I, I almost you know couldn't believe, couldn't believe it really how sort of how many goals we were racking up and and how quickly they were coming, um, and I guess on an individual level, you you see that the performances of, of players like Robertson and Fabinho, you know, who have been, I mean, obviously Fabinho got dropped against Man United, so. I, that kind of says maybe a little bit about a bit, bit of malaise setting in for him. And, and I think it was similar to a degree for Robertson, but I, that I thought both of those players were very good against Bournemouth. Um, and for me, you know, obviously the one really who won man of the match, I think was it was it two goals and three assists he got, which is just a, a crazy haul for, for one game. And I know a couple of those assists were basically just tapping the ball into the path of, <laughs> into the yeah. path of someone else to, to score a screamer. So maybe not, the, maybe a little bit misleading in that sense, but it was good to see, albeit against against Bournemouth, that he showed he 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 still has you know something to offer offer us this season because I think I think that was in question to be honest based on how he played um, in the couple of games he'd started before now, um, so so that was encouraging and it's it's interesting as well that he seems to have this sort of real poacher element to his game. Right, I mean you look 
where, where he seems to be scoring his goals from. Um, it's almost like writing the goal math a lot of the time when he's finishing. So it has kind of evolved a little bit um, in that regard. And it was also good to see Diaz score two-headed goals too. You know, it's something I wrote about um, in the summer. You know, we've talked a lot about Diaz is going to explode this season in terms of goal scoring after, you know, so far he's had really the performance levels, you'd say, but maybe not the output that you'd ideally want. And a crucial part of that, I think, in terms of maybe putting up Mane or Jota numbers, it is scoring more headers, which is has, has been a crucial part, really, of their games um, historically. So, so that was good too, and I thought especially the first header he scored was a brilliant technique. Um, so yeah, plenty of positives, and it was just nice to have the good vibes back. You know, just before this podcast, I was watching the inside Anfield video and stuff like that, and it's just nice to get back into your sort of post-win routine, really, um, and enjoying the positive feeling because there hasn't really been any of that. You know, it's very sort of down in the uh, the doldrums after uh, United, but well, it has to be put in perspective because Bournemouth are dreadful like they look nailed on to uh to get relegated there's some teams you look at and it can be very early in the season you're just like the only reason they're in the premier league for from now until the end of the of the year and it was similar with Norwich last season is to pick up that money from from the tv revenue because mm. competitively they don't really stand a chance but barring really a sort of historic spree from them in the in the past or the last few days of the transfer window that kind of elevates the squad to another level because at the moment they just don't look like they can compete at this level and they were completely outclassed against Arsenal. I mean, that game could have been about 6-0. Mm. This one probably should have been about 6-0, um, realistically. So, yeah, they're, they're dreadful. So we can't get too carried away with it. But, yeah, just really nice to see that. I think James Pierce called it a backlash and I think that's a, a good way to describe it because it was a very cathartic afternoon, I'd say. But, yeah, what, what did you think of it then? Yeah, yeah, very similar, really. I think it was much needed. Um, and in many senses, I suppose, it was a little bit unfair on Bournemouth that they were coming to the to the wounded animal that was Liverpool because it wasn't the start of the season. Like, we all give it loads of context, and rightly so, in terms of the performances and the injuries. You've got to factor all this stuff in. You're not given that same leeway by outside fans. We know that. Um, but we did need to sort of show the world, I suppose, that we were, we did still mean business and we were still sort of to be feared. Um, and although it is only Bournemouth and you do have to factor all of that in, you know, there's not a, not really a better way of doing that than a 9-0 romp at home, regardless of who the opposition is, really. So it was a really pleasing afternoon. Um, just want to touch on something that you said there. You, you're right in all the individual performances, by the way. I think there were some exceptional ones in there. Harvey Elliott, I think, as well should be included in that. And it was nice to see him get his goal. Obviously, everything that had gone on family-wise with him and, and Fabio Carvalho similarly um, gets his first Premier League goal for us and stuff. And just some nice moments in there and some really pleasing signs. Um, but you just, before we move on from Bournemouth, you said you felt sorry for them. And I half echo that. Just wanted to get your thoughts on, there's been a little bit of talk about Jurgen Klopp going up to Scott Parker and almost consoling him, putting his arm around him. Some people have called it patronising. Some people have said it's quite genuine. I wanted to see where you sit on that conversation. I mean, I watched Parker's press conference, actually, um, after the game. And uh, he was talking about it as the most difficult experience he's ever had in football. And, and he said that included his playing career, just kind of standing on the touchline. So I think Klopp kind of recognised that. And, and I can see how it, it could come off as patronising, maybe if another manager does it, yeah, you're kind of criticising him. But I, I just thought that, for me, 
it's more clappy and kind of empathetic and just saying like, you know, he has because like I said, there there was an element of bad luck in there in terms of Liverpool scoring nine goals in that game. So I think I think Klopp recognised that. I think he recognised how difficult a job Parker faces and, and how difficult a, a moment it'll be for him. And on that inside Anfield video I was watching, you know, I could see them um kind of in discussion before the game and stuff like that. So I think they seem to have quite a lot of respect for each other, you know, a decent relationship. So that's just purely how I read it um, as a moment like that, to be fair, because you, you do kind of, people have spoken very highly of Scott Parker and I think he's quite well well regarded uh, within the game. And you do kind of, I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but he is seemingly in a situation now where it's just like, he must just feel completely powerless to, to keep this team in the Premier League. Because, you know, you look at, I know they've got a few players injured, but you look at the lineup that they rocked up with on Saturday and it just looks nothing like a Premier League team at all. You know, it's up there with the least impressive, really, lineups you will have seen sort of in, in recent times in, in the top level. So, yeah, he's fight. He's very much uh, fighting a losing battle and maybe to have that kind of mo- moment with one of his counterparts is is something that he'll value. But, yeah, I, I, can, I can see kind of both sides of it, but... I don't think there was anything particularly sort of patronising about it um, myself. No, no, for what it's worth, I, I'm in agreement with that, to be honest. I think it was him being quite genuine um, and almost half felt sorry for a young manager who was trying to make his way in the game. And Parker himself, like I say, came out and spoke about it afterwards and also alluded to the fact that he's in need of more players desperately. Um, so we'll see what happens on that front for them. But for us, Jurgen Klopp, actually admitted that he he was wrong and the watching millions were right, I think was essentially how he put it. Um, and there could well be a midfielder in coming to Anfield before the window closes on Thursday, it is. Thursday, the 1st of September. So, Dave, we spoke about the midfielder situation quite a lot over the last couple of months. Um, here we are a couple of days before the end of the window. There's some sort of talk on Twitter and there's different names being banded about. First and foremost, do you expect us to sign one? Is it going to be sort of Kabak and Davis style on the final day or do you think it'll be much more straightforward than that? Um, I do think we'll get one because Klopp has gone public with it. And if he's saying that, then I feel like, you know, in terms of a source for information, isn't it? you're not going to get any better than that. And I think that indicates that there are a lot of efforts going on uh, behind the scenes. I think it's a bit, you know, this is you, when you say things like this, you're sort of a bit concerned that by the time you finish recording the podcast, something will come out and it's all a bit kind of um, invalid. But at the time we're recording, there hasn't really been much in terms of like concrete movement since, since Klopp made those those comments on Friday, I think it was. Um, so maybe that's a little bit surprising. Still a little bit of time for a deadline, but obviously the clock's ticking. So you're kind of hoping to see see something uh, pretty soon, um, to be fair. So I would expect one um, to arrive. I guess the question is, uh, which kind, really? Yeah, that, that's it, isn't it? Um, I've spoken previously on here and on, on different places that I think, I, I believe we need um, somebody who can do both in terms of can play sort of in the six, because I believe we need cover for Fabinho desperately. I get people's argument that they say, oh, Jordan Henderson can do that. But in, in my opinion, we still want Jordan Henderson to be playing, you know, in the eight more than the six, personally. Um, 
so I think we need that versatility more than anything else and somebody you know relatively young that can develop and grow into it because we are looking at the end of James Milner Henderson himself at some point Thiago at some point down the line so having people in place that can sort of take over the mantle from those three could be really important so that's what I will be going for and we'll come on to names in a moment but Dave do you have any sort of preferences in terms of style of player so there are kind of two different ways that you could play. I think you'll get someone who's a bit like um, Shuermaini, who we know Liverpool went for earlier in the window. And by the way, on that, I think it's become increasingly clear since then how big a blow it was for Liverpool to miss out mm. on him. Um, because I think um, that Liverpool were planning for next season and he was central to their vision for what this season was going to look like. And then for him to kind of choose Real Madrid instead, I think has really kind of rocked the boat a little bit for them. And that's maybe why they haven't gone for someone else because they, they were so convinced that he was going to come um, potentially uh, and they didn't really have the backup plan that was perhaps needed. Um, so you, you go for someone in that mould, which would be, I guess, similar to what you say, Dan, where, where he can play um, as a number six, but could also cover the sort of Thiago role in the midfield. Um, or you could go for someone who can play in Jordan Henderson's position um, who would maybe be a bit more attack-minded. And then maybe as well, you could throw in someone who's just like a depth player, um, someone who's going to be reliable that can come in. I think the epitome of that would be someone like Conrad Lyman, maybe, um, where he can kind of push for the, the starting eleven spot, but isn't necessarily someone who's um, world-class um, in his ability or someone who, who can become uh, world-class. So that's kind of the the dilemma or, or the decision that has to be made is it do you go for someone to I think it comes down to do you go for someone to cover for the injuries of Thiago who starts when he's fit mm. or someone who is an upgrade on quality in terms of this version of Jordan Henderson I think both of those are important issues in terms of this Liverpool side competing with Manchester City but I'd lean towards a, a sort of alternative to, to Shuamani to be honest Mm. Um, so someone who can play, can cover for Fabinho potentially, and also fill in for Thiago, I think would, would be ideal. And part of the rationale for that is obviously you want to leave that gap open in Jordan Henderson's position, I'd say, for Jude Bellingham next summer. Like you wouldn't want to be investing too much in, in someone to play there for this season. I don't think that would make too much sense. And I also no. think that if, say, if you were to bring in someone who's at a similar age to Shuamani, who, who I think is about, is he 21, Shuamani? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So if we get someone that age, it's like even if he isn't going to start, if when Thiago's fit this season, um, going forward, um, into future seasons, he definitely could be, um, someone who's in the first eleven. So, yeah, that would be, that would be how I do it. Um, I think it's, it's one of them. It kind of shows that Liverpool ideally would need probably two, uh, midfield signings, um, this summer. But um, I think it, of the of the ways we can play. I think that would be the, th the thing that we address um, in the next few days, if we can. Yeah, I agree. I think getting that person who can do both of them roles is really, really important to this. And um, you mentioned, obviously, Bellingham there, and that's a fair point, but we mustn't forget our own Harvey Elliott in that, I think. I think it's important we don't sort of, you know, not consider him when we think about the progression in this midfield, because there's no doubt about it, he's going to be a key part of it. But for the here and now, I think it's it's pivotal that we do get that alternative option in because 
even though we've probably all seen the sort of training pictures from today, we've seen a couple of options coming back in terms of Curtis Jones is back in training. We've been here before and they just they just don't last the, the, the test of time. Unfortunately, too many of our midfielders, it's just the way it's been for a while now. Um, in terms of names then, Dave, you mentioned a couple there, Lima, um, obviously Chiuameni is now at Real Madrid, so not necessarily him. Um, Frankie de Jong's another one that's been mentioned. Um, Ruben Neves from Wolves is another name. Has anyone particularly stood out to you and you think that would be the one you'd like to see come in? I mean, in terms of the players you mentioned, I've never really looked at Neves and thought he was someone who's an ideal fit for Liverpool's midfield. And I, I can't really say why. It's just kind of an instinctive thing. Where Is I, it an really... energy thing, perhaps? Sorry to Maybe. I've yeah. got to say the thing about Tielemans. I've, that, that's what always sticks in my mind with him because we've been linked with him a lot. And I think yeah. Tielemans and similarly with Neves, they'd both potentially blow up playing under Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I think you got to bear in mind the kind of role he plays at Wolves. There isn't too much emphasis on maybe mobility. He does seem to be someone who's kind of in that fixed position and kind of just like spraying passes. Um, but, you know, maybe that's misguided. At. Maybe there's like stats you could point to that, that show otherwise. But I just would think in terms of like, in terms of that mobility, whether I want Fabinho and Neves in the same midfield, mm-hmm. probably not. And then I'm thinking... If I want a midfielder who can cover for Thiago, then it, he would potentially be in the same midfield. But, uh, you know, I, it's just kind of an instinctive thing. Like I say, it's not something I've maybe looked into in, in too much depth. Um, De Jong, I think, would be a really, really exciting signing. And I think it would be satisfying as well because we know how long Man United spent going for him um, this summer. I just don't see that one happening on the basis that United tried to sign him for literally 100 days like there was a journalist that tweeted it and um, when they were going for Casemiro they were like after 100 days they've uh, called time on it so I think that shows how complex the situation is and, and and the fact that he doesn't really want to go too much Um, so I think Liverpool will probably decide to avoid that one Um, and uh, Tielemans I think it's one of them where you, you considered it because all summer we've been hearing that he's available for about 25 mil whether that price comes down even even more now um, because it's the last few days of the window and Leicester are starting to realise that if they want to get any money for a player who, without a sort of a contract situation like this, would probably be worth about 50 or 60, um, then, then they do have to sell it. And I think it's important for Leicester. I mean, they've got the Fafana sales, so maybe they'll feel less urgent, but generally um, they do kind of, really fund a lot of their business with the made with major outgoings. Um, and maybe that's why they haven't been able to, to sign anyone this summer really up to this point. Um, so yeah, it's one of them. I don't think he's an ideal fit. I think he'd be a good signing, but not necessarily a great one. Um, the names for me and literally not long at all before we came on, um, Melissa Reddy was on a uh, sky sports news mm. and she said, um, Kuadio Kone and Moises Caicedo. Um, so Kone from Mönchengladbach, Caicedo obviously from Brighton. Um, I looked into um, Kone a little bit um, last week for an article that I wrote. Um, again, sort of a very young player. He looks like a very good fit in terms of um, being in the Shwamani mould, to be honest. He's also 21. You Literally, if you go on um, FB Ref, um, and this is kind of where the article came from, He's right up there in terms of similarity 
um, with the statistics he's hitting um, with Shuamani. I think that would be um, that would be a good sign. I'd be very happy with that. Um, Caicedo again has looked brilliant uh, for Brighton since he's kind of broken into the team, which I think was only really this year. So he's not been kind of around um, at the top level for too long, but. It's one of them. You feel like if Liverpool waited until next summer to go for him, for example, his price would probably um, balloon a lot more. But this is part of the problem that Liverpool face right now. And it was something I kind of said on uh, Friday night when when these quotes actually surfaced from Klopp and it was clear that Liverpool were um, going for a midfield. That they put themselves in a position now where they're going to be charged a premium because they have been public about it. People know that. Really, they're going for one because they they're worried about what's going to happen um, mm-hmm. if they don't have this extra midfielder, and that puts you in a very, you know, weak position to negotiate from, and and, and means you are going to be getting sort of held to held to ransom a little bit. And I think Brighton, you know, we know how good they are at negotiating. They got sixty three million, I think it was for for Kukurea mm-hmm. this summer, and and they've got some good prices for other players um, in the past. So you know, they'd be charging us hefty whack for him, um, one hundred percent. But Dan, obviously, I want to hear. The, the names you suggested, but I also want to know, I think, you, your thoughts on the midfield situation, because I don't think it's a very good look. You know, I, I was obviously glad to hear that Liverpool were going for one, and, and I really hope we are able to land one um, mm. in the next few days, but for us to have dropped how many points is it? Is it seven points we've dropped um, up to yeah. this point in the season? For it, yeah, two draws and a loss. Yeah, yeah for, it, for it to be for, for that to be necessary for Liverpool to realise the error of their ways is, it, it, I, th- I think, like I say, it's a bad look. Mm. I think the club obviously has generally operated really well in the market, but I think it's like it shows we've miscalculated. It's a little bit embarrassing, to be honest, and you worry if it's a, a little bit, given the standards that are being set in the Premier League by Man City, is it kind of too little too late now um, in terms of the Premier League? Tariffs? Obviously, that's not the only... Um, trophy that no. you could go for. So it's good news to hear it, but I also think that there's a few kind of things about it which are almost a little bit annoying, really. So what do you think? Yeah, um, I, I don't believe it's too little too late in terms of the title race. Uh, there aren't many teams sort of in the history of the Premier League that are capable of going on sort of 10, 12, 13, 14 game winning runs. Um and Liverpool and this current guys under Jurgen Klopp are one of them, despite the early season form. So I don't think it's sort of too late for the Premier League title. It's, we've made life very difficult for ourselves and we're far from favourites, let's put it that way. But there was, it's definitely an oversight and you are right in terms of it's not a great look from Liverpool. I personally put it down to... It's a difficult one because people almost blame different faculties, don't they, of the club. People say, oh, Jurgen Klopp, he doesn't want a new midfielder. Others say it's FSG being frugal and not allowing him the funds to go and get one. And so, and Klopp's just towing the line, etc. I, I personally believe Jurgen Klopp is very loyal. I think it's almost one of his best traits and one of his biggest faults. Um, I think the likes of Naby Keita, Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, even Curtis Jones, you could throw into that mix, certainly Thiago. I think Jurgen Klopp loves them all so much as individuals and as footballers that he almost is willing to overlook the injuries and the constant unavailability of all of them four that I just mentioned. And he almost looks at the positive side and goes, yeah, but they're great when they are available. 
unfortunately they're available nowhere near enough. And I think it took having all four out at the same time last week. And I think a couple of them, Cater in particular, was more serious than they first feared. I think it took all of that to almost happen in one go for him to go, actually, like, I might have been wrong. We might need a midfielder. And that's almost what it felt like to me, his sort of admission of guilt, if you like, in all of that. Um, so it's not a great look from the club. Um, certainly not when you're trying to compete with the powerhouse that is Manchester City. <laughs> if we end up doing something, I, I really hope we do. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, it's almost essential that we do, I think, certainly for the Premier League. I think we're capable of winning other trophies if we don't sign a midfielder. I think if we do miss out for whatever reason, if they come out and say, oh, we tried, but so-and-so, I don't envisage us winning the Premier League. I think this won't be the only time we have this problem during the season. At some point further down the line, whether it's in February when fixtures pile up again or whenever it is, we will face the same issues we faced at the start of the season. I'm almost certain of it. So not having that extra option in there will come back and haunt us again. In terms of the options I would like to see, I do like um, Caicedo from Brighton. Um, very inexperienced still, only 20. Um, only signed for Brighton last year. And he, he then spent some time um, at Bel- in the Belgium league because they think Brighton have got a link with one of the clubs over there. Um, that's probably why I didn't really break in. Obviously, Basuma was doing outstanding things for them as well. Done really well start of this season. Still a little bit raw, a little bit early maybe for Liverpool to be going gung-ho on him, I'd say. Um, Frankie de Jong, I just don't envisage the wages. I don't see how we make that work for ourselves at all. Like We've seen the problems he's had trying to move to Chelsea and Manchester United earlier in the window. Um, similar with you and Neves, I've got the same sort of concerns as you have with him. Um, I do like him as a footballer. He would be one of my f- preferred options. Um, but yeah, they've all almost got the, the, the flaws and they've all got the positives, all the names you've been linked with. I don't know much about Manu Kone. I'd be lying if I said I did. It's interesting, obviously, munching Gladbach after all the uh, Neuhaus links we had and we discussed in depth on here as well. So, yeah, um, I'm at a little bit of a loss in terms of who we'll end up with, if anyone, like I say, for that matter. Um, I just really hope it does happen, to be honest, because like I say, I think it's pretty essential um, if we are going to challenge in the in the league, especially. Um, because like I say, I just envisage this entire thing coming back around full circle. Sorry, but I was going to say that, that that's quite interesting to hear you say that, really, just from the standpoint of we've heard Liverpool the whole summer say it's all well and good wanting the midfielder, but is the right one out there. And now you're you're kind of saying... I really wanted to sign a midfielder, but they've all got their own flaws. So as much as I, I completely agree that we do need a midfielder, do you think, as you say that now, does it almost kind of dawn on you in a way that Liverpool kind of do have a point in terms of they aren't going to be able maybe to find someone perfect if they are going to sign someone now? And maybe there are kind of some slight merits to that approach. Yeah, there is some merit to that approach, there's no doubt about it. I think when you're sort of scrambling around at the end of a window like we are, which is almost what you alluded to earlier, um, in my opinion, when you said much earlier on the pod that we didn't have the sort of plan B alternative to chew a many, that's almost the biggest oversight from the club in all of this. Because if you go after your number one target and you don't get it, like we've had it before with Van Dyke, but he didn't go anywhere else, he just waited. He waited for us. Chew a many hasn't done that. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mishap 
from our side of things, and we all laud the Liverpool recruitment, and rightly so, but to go after Chiuameni without an alternative in mind is, is quite poor, actually, from us. Um, and it's left us in this predicament, like, two days before the window closes, sort of scrambling around. And like I say, I do understand when they say we can't find the right one, we need a certain type of player, and it's all well and good saying buy a midfielder. But I do think we're almost in the realms of that now. And it's similar to when we had the, the centre-back crisis as well. And we ended up getting Kabak and Davis. Now, nobody can convince me, not even Michael Edwards himself can convince me that those two were the right player for Liverpool at the time. They were just necessities. And we're not a million miles away from that right now. We're almost scrambling around for a necessity. Now, whether that 9-0 and the likes of Curtis Jones coming back today into training sort of masks that a little bit. And they think they, they they take a step back maybe from the needing to sign a midfielder route that they seem to be on. Um, remains to be seen. That'd be a concern for me, like I say, because I I think Navigator will pick up two more injuries and, and as will Thiago. So it's really difficult. Um and like I say, I, I don't think whoever they sign now, unless they paid way over the odds for somebody like a Frankie De Jong, maybe, would be the ideal choice. Um but it's not something I, f- I see them doing. Even if they got Lyme, like his injury record, unless I'm massively mistaken, isn't ideal itself, you know. So there are drawbacks to all of them. Um, it's whether they're willing to sort of take that mini risk now, I suppose. But yeah, before the transfer deadline day, Liverpool play another game of football. Who knows, we might be parading a new midfielder around Anfield at half-time. Um, not that we do that often, to be fair, not these days, but you never know. Um, yeah, Newcastle um, and all their millions and millions of pounds, which they have spent quite wisely, in fairness to them, with Alexander Isak in tow, I imagine, as well, um, head to Anfield on Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. Um, so, Dave, Newcastle, what have you made of them so far? Um, drew with Wolves over the weekend. Um, Alan San Maximan won the goal and obviously took points off Man City the weekend before, so... Where do you stand on them at the minute? Yeah, that goal was um, mm. amazing. Uh, unbelievable goal. That, um, and his performance against City too was was incredible. And, uh, and it's it's one of them. He's a player who, who splits opinion. Um, in terms of people, do people think he's almost another Adama Traore where, where he doesn't have the end product for all kind of the, maybe the the dribbling and and the 1v1 duels um, that come before that. But, I wouldn't personally say so. I think he's a player who kind of on his day can just completely um, rip teams apart. And Man City saw that and, and he can provide the end product too. Like I think he creates an awful lot of chances for that Newcastle team. Um, and I didn't actually see uh, the game against Wolves, but I saw them against City and that would maybe be the sort of template that they would ideally like to go for at Anfield in terms of how they played and and people talked about them kind of taking the game um, to Man City, really. And it wasn't like they were trying to sort of play the game almost on City's terms. You know, it was still heavily involved around counter-attacks. But the amount of joy that they did manage to get still really stood out here. And they had spells in the game where they were completely bossing them. Um, so that was a really, really impressive performance. And it was obviously just a shame from our point of view that they weren't really strong enough defensively to um to hold out for, for anything more than a point in the end. Um I think the thing that stands out for this game is that um Wilson uh 
Bruno uh, Gimaraish and St. Maximin are all potentially going to miss this one. Um, Wilson is, is probably one of the most kind of underrated strikers in the Premier League. I think he's got a really good sort of uh, strike rate when he actually can play, but, you know, injury prone, um, as everybody knows. Uh, Gimaraish, people have talked about him really as, as one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. There are even some links with Real Madrid. It's one of them where almost... He's kind of the epitome of of this kind of Newcastle project in a way, and it's like they would have had no no right to uh, to have him beforehand. Mm. Um, and obviously, in light of that performance against City, if if Saint Maximin is out um, of this one because obviously he had the hamstring issue um, late on against Wolves, then that is a big blow to Newcastle and does make them um, a less daunting side. I think it's going to be, you know, when Liverpool. Let me just check now when they're due to play away. Um, St. James's Park, because I do think that is going to be, you know, you t- you look at the fixtures in, in the season and, and obviously the ones um, against the fellow big six sides are the ones that really jump out at you in terms of being the most difficult and maybe the ones that yeah. you, look, you look at most. But I think Newcastle away in terms of the games outside the big six is potentially going to be the most difficult this season. Um, and yeah, you can see 18th of February, will, that one will be for Liverpool, um, or it's scheduled at the moment. So that's one to keep an eye out for. Obviously, Isaac, like you mentioned, um, a player who I think we all kind of saw at the Euros and were very impressed by. If I think there was a work permit issue, wasn't there? Um, that's something mm-hmm. playing um, against Wolves. I'd presume that that would be solved uh, for this game, uh, but we'll see. So if he makes his debut, um, he's a bit of a sort of an unknown quantity at this level, but obviously a player who hasn't has a lot of um potential that can potentially be tapped into. And mm-hmm. uh so yeah, he'll be a threat if he plays, no doubt. But yeah, like I say, I think if those three players are out, then it's it's huge, huge for Newcastle and in terms of who the re- sort of what the percentage chances are really of Liverpool winning the game, I'd say. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I think they're three big losses um, for them, particularly Sam Maximan, like you say. Um, he's such an outlet, and in a game whereby Newcastle are going to have moments, I think pretty much regardless. But it's going to be similar in terms of pattern. You'd suggest to so the Man City game that they played, whereby we dictate a lot of the ball, particularly at Anfield, and they'd have wanted Saint Maximan as that outlet and that ability to get them further up the pitch. Um, and hopefully, from a Liverpool perspective, he's not there to do that for them, um, obviously. Uh, but from a Liverpool perspective, I mentioned earlier on the pod, we welcome back Joel Matip, uh, Calvin Ramsey and Curtis Jones to training. Whether they're fit enough, fit enough for, fit enough or not for the Newcastle game remains to be seen. We've got the derby thick and fast on Saturday as well, straight afterwards. So... Lineup-wise, Dave, do you expect us to make many changes from the weekend's game, or do you think we'll go pretty much as is? Um, yeah, I feel like with those injured players, like I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe Jones on the bench um, on Wednesday, Matip and and Ramsey. I think Ramsey will probably still be a couple of weeks. I would have thought Matip yeah. maybe on the bench uh, for the derby. Um, I think that it's only going to be one. One change, two changes at most, really, from the team we saw against uh, Bournemouth. I would personally bring in Simakas uh, for this one. I think mm. it's the first week of the season where you play in three matches, and and like I said earlier, Robertson was was really good against Bournemouth, but I think this is an opportunity for me to to bring Simakas in and, and and lighten the load on him a little bit rather than him playing um, all sort of the first 
five or six games a season. I think you give Simakas a start as much as he has been getting some time off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, midfield, midfield, I'd keep the same. I think I saw someone earlier to obviously Elliot came off a half time on Saturday and there was someone earlier that seemed like he might have been training um, on his own or, or training away from the, the main group or with a lighter kind of load on him. So if he's not available to start this one, it'd be interesting to see if Klopp would go with um, Henderson in and Cavallio in front of Fabinho midfield and, and whether that's something he thinks um, would be workable because obviously Cavallio looked really good against United and then he gets his first goal um, last weekend. And then, yeah, I think you could probably got to keep the same uh, front line after an improved performance from Firmino and then Nunez back. Uh, you just to see really on uh, on on the weekend when when we play Everton, mm. whether Nunez um, comes straight back into the side or whether um, he's on the bench and, and it's Firmino again. I think that probably might depend on how well Firmino uh, plays in this game. But yeah, for me, it would just be that one change in an ideal world. Yeah, it might well depend on um, how well Firmino plays and also fitness could end up dictating whether Nunes comes back into the starting lineup because I don't think anyone really envisaged or expects Firmino sort of to play you know, 90 minutes week in, week out. And as you mentioned, this is sort of like the first free fixture week, if you like. Um, so asking Firmino to go again in the derby as opposed to a fresh Nunez could be an interesting call. So, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you in terms of starting lineup, but we're not going to see Joel Matip. I wonder for uh, maybe for the derby, if he has a good week in training, he might he might force his way back in ahead of Joe Gomez for, the, for that. But, yeah, I think maybe slight changes. The Elliott one is probably the biggest call, like you say. What we're not quite sure what's going on there. I, the pre the pre match press conference will probably shed some further light on that. Um, but just before we do wrap up, um, got to get your score prediction. Everyone's favourite part of the show. Go on, Dave. What you got for me? I've got three one written down. I'm pretty sure that's been the score the last. Well, not the last two. Two of the last three games at Anfield we played against Newcastle. Um, we went 1-0 down last time, didn't we? Yeah, and, and the yeah. 19-20 game too. We went 1-0 down. Willem scored a, um, oh, yes, a, that's right. a bit yeah. of a ridiculous yeah. goal, yeah. And then there was the um, dreadful 1-1 draw behind closed doors. So yeah. they tend to cause us um, some problems at Anfield. But like I say, if, if those players are out, and to be fair, if one of them could play, even just one of those three, then it does improve their chances. Um quite a bit, I'd say. And it's going to be a much more difficult game, I think, regardless um, than we had against Bournemouth. But I'm hoping now um, you've got to hope on the back of that performance that it, it has kick-started us. So, yeah, I'll go for another 3-1 against them. Yeah, that's no, a good shout. Um, I think there are certain factors at play here. You mentioned obviously we've covered the Newcastle injuries and a couple of players potentially back into our squad. They're obviously all points in our favour. And I actually think Anfield on a Wednesday night pointed to our favour as well. It shouldn't really be underestimated that. Um, obviously, the atmosphere was superb, given everything that had gone on um, on Saturday for the Bournemouth game. But there's nothing quite like a night of delight under the lights at Anfield. So, I'd back you there. I, I'd go with 3-1 as well for this one. Um, it'd be nice to get another clean sheet, but I do think Newcastle pose a genuine threat. Um, ideally, we don't go 1-0 down again. We could do with not having that habit come back straight away after seemingly shaking it off. So, yeah, two 3-1 wins for us um, and Liverpool back on the march, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, that will be all we've got time for for the podcast. Um, remember to give us a five-star rating if it's on Spotify or a positive review anywhere else. Um, 
Follow us on YouTube. We'll put clips on there once again as the season goes on. Um, Red's unrestricted. Um, yeah, we will be back after the Newcastle game um, to look back on that and look ahead to the Merseyside derby against Everton at Goodison Park. One of the last remaining ones at Goodison Park, I imagine. We'll soon be heading down to Bramley Moor Dock. But yeah, anyway, until then, take care and we'll speak to you soon. <laughs>